Oh, okay. <laughs> You're listening, listening to Hold That Thought from Arts and Sciences at Washington University in St. Louis. Hi, thanks for listening to Hold That Thought. I'm Claire Navarro. Throughout our ongoing series on the earth sciences, we've heard over and over again about how earth science is really interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary. For example, many of the scientists that we've talked to for this series aren't geologists, they're geophysicists or geochemists. This is also true for our guest today, postdoctoral research associate Stephen Shemtob. When studying big topics like the science behind how parts of the Earth formed, researchers like Shemtob often have to focus in on small, specific questions. But even in those small questions, they have to approach topics from a variety of fields. In some cases, like the one we're about to talk about, even biology can come into play. For one recent project, Shemtop has been focusing his energy on one specific type of rock where these overlaps occur. Here he is to explain. So the work I've been doing is related to understanding a certain rock type called banded iron formation. That's banded iron formations. If you look up photos of these, you'll see that they can be really dramatic looking and beautiful. They look sort of like brightly colored, wavy stripes and rock faces. So first I'll just say what they are. They're red. They're made up primarily of iron oxides and silica, like quartz or chert minerals. These types of rocks aren't particularly common, but they can be found around the globe, from Michigan to Canada to Australia. These places all have something in common. More than a billion years ago, they were oceans. So, as you might have guessed, these rocks formed in oceans, most of them around 2.5 to 1.9 billion years ago. And they most likely formed under specific types of conditions. We think that to form them, you have to have first a lot of iron and a lot of silica in the oceans and a lack of oxygen. This lack of oxygen is part of the reason why these rocks are of such interest to scientists. Banded iron formations are thought to have formed by oxidation of dissolved iron in the ocean, just like how metal rusts when it's left out. But this long ago, there was no oxygen in the atmosphere or in the oceans where they formed. So what drove the iron oxidization? For one theory, we turn to the field of geobiology, which is pretty much what it sounds like, an overlap of geology and biology. The oxidization is thought to have come about through living things. Bacteria. So they're living basically off of oxidizing that iron in the absence of atmospheric oxygen. And so they're driving the formation of this, this rock type. Because Earth's oceans now do contain oxygen, these types of rocks are no longer being formed, which presents a challenge to scientists. How can you figure out how something was created when all you have to work with are rocks that are already some two billion years old? Now, we can't go out and observe iron formation as it's being formed today, but we can go look for those microorganisms in a variety of environments. So these kinds of anaerobic photosynthesizers still exist in modern environments. So a number of scientists go out and collect these microorganisms, isolate them, and understand their metabolism. And can make inferences about their longevity, 
and their similarity to organisms that might have been around early in Earth history. So rocks aren't the only evidence. There are also microorganisms still around today that are somewhat like those very early bacteria. Looking at these microorganisms is one approach. Another way to understand more about these rocks is to replicate them in the laboratory, to essentially grow rocks to see how they form. This is what Shemtov has been working on. And so that's what I do. I run experiments, uh, geochemical experiments, trying to simulate some of the processes by which iron formation precipitated out of oceans in the past. So Shemtov is a geochemist. In his work with these banded iron formations, he's taking a close look at the chemistry behind rock formation. When describing these rocks a little earlier, he mentioned that they are primarily made of iron oxides and silica. But how exactly do these two materials come together? The question I'm trying to answer is, well, what exactly is that, that dance that the iron and silica are, are doing? And there are two ma major possibilities of what's going on there. One is, you start with an iron-rich particle first. So you start with an iron oxide particle, and then silica comes along and attaches itself. Another way you could do it is you could have iron and silica in solution, and they form a particle together. Or they form a mineral that's, that contains both iron and silicon. The question I'm trying to ask right now is, can we, based on the geologic record, can we figure out which one of these two was more important? Were they forming by adsorption or by co-precipitation? Do those two have a different geochemical signature? Starting with this fundamental question, Shemtov will be able to learn more about how exactly these iron formations came to be. Down the road, these questions could lead back to geobiology, helping scientists answer questions about the rock's connections with microorganisms. They might have impacts on other processes that people care about. Things like the way that metals, like nickel or zinc, partition into these rocks. These kinds of trace metals are important because uh, microorganisms use, use them to, to function. So they, they, you, basically all life needs these various trace metals in some small quantity. So understanding how, how they go into rocks is important, and I think that these two different methods, which I'm trying to assess, have different isotope signatures. So the project right now, it's kind of, it's kind of aimed small, I would say. It's aimed at understanding this very first process. How do you go from dissolved solids to sediments that are falling out of solution? This may be just the first step to a deeper understanding of banded iron formations, and their place in the history of Earth's oceans and the earliest life forms. As his research continues, Shemtop hopes to look at how processes like heat and pressure also affected the chemistry of these rocks. Wherever the project leads him, he's excited to see how looking at the very small processes occurring deep in ancient oceans can help to answer big questions about our planet and its history. I, I love being a geologist and being a geochemist because you know we're studying very fundamental things, but it's also very applicable to what we can hold in our hand, or what you can go look, go outside and see every day, or you, what you can look out your window and, and understand. So I think you know I'm I'm studying things that are very small and specific, but I think that they 
give me and they give the world a lot of insight into just understanding the, the color of a rock or understanding when you see a rock, what, what its history is, when you see a, a landform, a mountain or a river, understanding something about what, what forms those, those landforms. So I, I think geology is awesome because it equips us to say something about the world around us and to sort of experience a little bit of joy in being able to interpret the things that we see around us and the, the, the things that we think are beautiful. Many thanks to Stephen Shemtub for joining Hold That Thought. For many more ideas to explore, please visit holdthatthought.wustl.edu. You can also keep up with the latest on Facebook and Twitter, or find our weekly podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and PRX. Thanks for listening.